Well, we're taking a three-week break from our, our usual practice of studying through a book of the Bible to do a checkup and do a check-in on the health of our homes. How is mom and dad's relationship doing? How are the kids doing? What's the vibe in the home like? We're gonna talk about some things that can create challenges in our homes. We're gonna talk about how we're doing with them and and what the best way is, God's way is, to deal with those challenges. And this week we're gonna focus primarily on marriage and so uh, every time I do this I always think like, oh, well we only just spoke about marriage or something a year ago or or, or two years ago and then I, I just realized that for all of us, I don't know how it is for you, but it's not like the reality of the situation is, you know, Jeff, since you taught that last marriage series, it's really just been smooth sailing because the series was that good. We've just applied absolutely everything we learned from the Word of God, and um, we don't have marriage difficulties anymore, ever. It's, it's a miracle. To God be the glory. That's not really how it works. We need these regular checkups in marriage, in parenting, in friendship and work. We need this stuff all the time on a regular basis because... Living the way Jesus wants us to live is not our default. It's not the way we just drift if we don't give any thought to it. We actually drift in the opposite direction. That's why it's good to do these checkups. So if you're married or if you've ever been married, then you know that marriage is work. It's awesome. It's a blessing. It's a good thing that is a gift from God. But it's also work. And pretty much everybody who's married is doing work putting forth effort in their marriage. However, not everyone is doing the kind of work in their marriage that's actually going to result in a better, stronger marriage in the future. It's possible to do work that's not wise and you're putting forth a tremendous amount of effort but it's actually not accomplishing anything. And so I'd like to talk specifically about the work we do to deal with issues in our marriage. How do we deal with Issues, And I'd like to ask you as I describe some different scenarios to be honest about the way you're wired. I know that everything in you is going to want to think about the way your spouse is wired and which one they are, but, but try to resist that urge and actually make this about you because you can't actually change your spouse. You can only change yourself. Think about the way you most typically handle issues in your marriage and, and what path you tend to naturally most want to follow. You see, some people naturally gravitate towards something like what the Apostle Peter wrote when he instructed believers, I put it on your outlines, above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So for this type of person, love means basically overlooking practically every issue that comes up. Uh, using the reasoning of, well, well, that's just what love does. It just overlooks, it just covers that stuff up. And this person believes there's, there's nothing more important than unity in the marriage relationship and peace at all costs, including them holding their tongue and, and not making an issue out of issues that actually matter to them. And so a lot of the time, this type of person is able to achieve a type of peace or the appearance of peace for much of the time or for a very long time. But there's always a cost because this type of person will often feel underappreciated because in their mind, they're letting all these things go all the time. I'm overlooking this, I'm looking past that. You do this thing again and again and again and I, I, never, I never bring it up and, and nobody seems to appreciate it. Nobody says, oh, oh, thank you for doing that. 
But the reality is that nobody can act on the information that they don't have, right? Nobody's ever gonna thank you for something they didn't even know that you did. This is a huge concept if you're wired this way to understand. If you do something in secret and nobody saw you do it except God, then only God knows. So you can't be mad that somebody who didn't see you do it didn't thank you for doing it. So this is why in my relationship with Charlene now, if I wanna be thanked for something, I'm a typical man, I want a gold medal for everything I do, no matter how simple or basic, you know? I'm like a good puppy, I want the pat on the head every time. And so I'll just tell her, she'll come back in, I'll be like, I took the garbage out, oh, thank you so much for doing that, you're welcome. Literally what I'm doing is I'm saying, I did this, tell me I'm awesome, and she'll do it. Oh, you're awesome, because she understands the behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated, right? This is a basic principle of relationships. What gets rewarded gets repeated. So she wants me to take the garbage out again. So it takes her one second to be like, great job, babe, thank you. That's it, so anytime I do anything, I just tell her most of the time I do it if I wanna thank you. Because that's a million times better than this, right? If, if you're wired that way, then, then you might do this. You take the garbage out, and then you're like, I wonder if they're gonna notice. Well, they never, they never notice anything. They never notice anything I do. They never appreciate anything I do. And then three hours later, you're having a huge argument because they didn't notice that you took the garbage out and they're going, well, I, why would I notice? I haven't even been in the garbage can since you took it out. And you're like, this is just one example of the million ways you never appreciate anything I do. And they're like, my spouse is out of their freaking mind. And that, that's how that situation unfolds. So if you're the kind of person who likes to just overlook stuff, cover stuff up with the justification of this is what love does, there's a good chance you often feel underappreciated, but it's also kind of your fault because you're not actually telling them what you're doing. For this same reason, this type of person might also have an extreme reaction to some event or some comment. They might just explode or have an extreme emotional reaction seemingly out of nowhere. And I'll tell you why that happens. And th this is a key point for the way this type of personality deals with issues in marriage. Here, here's what's happened. They thought they were letting things go for a long time. I'm letting this go, I'm letting this go. Oh, I'm such a great person, I'm letting this go. They wanted to let those things go. They really did. They had really good intentions, but unbeknownst even to them, they weren't actually letting those things go. They were just bottling them up. They were just bottling them up. But over time, those things start to breed bitterness and resentment, not because they, they want that to happen, but because they wanted to believe they had let some things go that were actually things that they needed to work through. So write this down. If we tell ourselves that we're letting things go when we're really bottling them up, we're creating a breeding ground for bitterness and resentment. If we tell ourselves we're letting things go when we're really bottling them up, we're creating a breeding ground for bitterness and resentment. And then suddenly there's just one little thing, one small thing, and it's just the thing that's too much. And all these things we should have dealt with come out in this huge emotional display. I can't believe you didn't notice I took the garbage out. Do you even love me? And you're like, what is going on? It's like, well, it's, it's not actually about that. It's about all the other stuff that you thought you had let go, but you really hadn't. You were bottling it up. That's the one extreme on, on the one side I want to draw our attention to. On the other side, you've got the other type of personality on the opposite end who wants to critique everything, turn everything into an issue, and never let anything go. And this type of person will often you know, justify their criticisms by saying, well, I'm just being truthful. 
I'm just being honest. I'm, I'm just an honest person. Sue me. The problem is that perpetual criticism doesn't actually bring about healthy change. It just crushes a person. And so even if you're married to someone who's willing to receive that constant criticism, they're, they're humble enough to do that, they're willing to put up with it, what eventually happens is you find yourself married one day to someone who's completely deflated, completely defeated, and completely low in confidence because what you've communicated to them over and over again is you're a loser and you've bullied your way in every argument to what you think is victory and you're like, hey, I won. And it's like, yeah, you won. What's your prize? You're now married to a loser because you turned them into that, right? Yay, I won. So write this down. If we're overly critical, we'll crush our spouse into someone who's not a joy to be married to. If we're overly critical, we'll crush our spouse into someone who's not a joy to be married to. Why are you such a Debbie Downer all the time? And it's like, well, because you pounded them into the ground with criticism over and over and over again. That's the second extreme. So on one end of the spectrum, you have people who who try to overlook everything in marriage and, and tend to sort of bottle things up for the sake of peace, while on the other end you have people who make an issue out of everything. And, and each of us falls somewhere on the spectrum. We lean a little more to one side than the other, maybe a lot to one side than the other. And it's really important that you have an honest understanding of where you fall, and I'm going to say naturally. Where you naturally fall, where you gravitate to. Because every single one of us should be different when we're being led by the Spirit of God. But the problem is, man, there's nothing like marriage to get you out of the Spirit of God, right? So when you're in the Spirit, then you should be somewhere safe and healthy, but you should know, hey, my natural self tends to go this way. This is the way I lean, this way or that way. The Gospel of John describes Jesus as being full of grace and truth. I love that verse, full of grace and truth. And so if we deal with issues in our marriage by by only using grace, overlooking issues that matter, and we never deal equally with the truth, we'll never empower our marriages with opportunities to improve and grow. But if we deal with issues in our marriage using only the truth, directly pointing out problem after problem after problem, but we don't approach those issues with an equal amount of grace, we're going to end up crushing our spouse's spirit. Similarly, the Apostle Paul told the Ephesian church that they were to speak the truth in love, the truth in love. Speaking truth without love is brutality. But loving someone, yet withholding the truth from them, is actually hate. It's not love at all. We're to speak the truth in love. So would you make a note of this? We're to deal in the truth with an equal measure of grace. Deal in the truth with an equal measure of grace. So again, which way do you naturally lean when it comes to dealing with issues in your marriage? Do you naturally lean toward the side of truth or do you lean toward the side of grace? How are you at at balancing those two together? In my opinion, the marriage experts, both Christian and secular, are generally on the same page and correct when they say that the number one issue in marriages, the number one reason that marriages break down and have difficulties is because of communication. Why? Because communicating honestly, graciously, and consistently is really, really hard. 
it's really, really hard. And, and, and if you're married, then you know this. We don't do it because it takes a tremendous amount of emotional energy. And a lot of the time, we're just too tired to bother. If you've got kids in your house, you know the kids finally go to bed and it's like, oh, this is, man, I don't want to sound like I don't love my kids because I really love my kids. But there's a part of you that's like, oh, this is such a sweet time of the day. Like when everyone, everyone's in bed and, and the parade of issues has actually like died down. And there's nothing in you in that moment that says, oh, we've got a couple of hours before we go to bed of peace. Let's bring up an awkward subject and talk about it. Let's dive in. Let's go for it. I've been looking forward to this all day. You're in the part of the day that is supposed to be the reward for everything, and you're like, let's, uh, let's just risk arguing for the next five hours. Let's, let's do that. So that's the reason we just don't dive in is sometimes we're just tired. We're also scared of, of rejection even in our own marriages because we think, well, what if I share something that's really important to me and, and they just blow it off? Like, where does that leave us in our marriage? Like, what, what does that mean about our future? And sometimes we don't bring up these issues because we know that deep down, deep down, we're, we're actually in the wrong. But we don't want to change because the power dynamic or the, the work ratio in the relationship is actually split in our favor right now. And so we, we, we don't want to talk about it. We're like, actually, everything's fine. Let's just leave things the way it is and not talk about it. It's great. If you think of a marriage like building a house, then day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you're working together with your spouse to, to add studs, to build walls, to install electrical, all that sort of stuff. And if you see that a couple of load-bearing studs aren't actually screwed in or, or nailed to the rest of the frame of the house, and in fact, they're, they're completely loose and kind of flopping around and just leaning against another one, what should you do? Should you just keep building? Should you say, you know what, let me cover that up with some drywall so we can keep moving forward with this project? We all know that would be a terrible, terrible idea, and we all know why. Because what's gonna happen when you try to build the second floor of that house? What's gonna happen one day when you try to build something on top of that frame? Someone's gonna be walking up there, the floor's gonna collapse, and, and, and people are gonna get hurt might take a while before that happens, but it's gonna happen. And that's what we do in our marriages when we choose not to deal with things we know are real issues. It's what we do when we choose to cover up things that actually need to be fixed. They need to be secured before being built upon, before moving forward. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, said this, it's on your outlines. He said, a lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it and a flattering mouth works ruin. So church, because I love you, because the Lord loves you, because he wants the best for you and your marriage and your family, I'm begging you not to miss the application in marriage of this verse. Here's what it is. When you withhold the truth from your spouse by not addressing an issue that matters in your marriage, when you cover up something that you know is going to come back in the future and hurt people instead of fixing it, I know that we love to tell ourselves that we're being gracious, but the reality is when we're doing that, we're lying. We're lying. Let's just call it what it is. We are lying. You're also deceiving your spouse when you do that. 
You're lying to your spouse because you're leading them to believe that everything is fine when you know that it's not. You're leading them to believe that you've checked those studs. The load-bearing wall is fine. You're choosing to take the risk that they might get crushed in the future, that other people in your home might get hurt so that you can avoid a difficult conversation or the possibility of an argument today. Love your spouse, care about your marriage enough to not keep building on a structure you know is faulty. Stop and fix it. Do the difficult work now so that your home will be strong and safe in the future. You can write this down. It's not loving or gracious to knowingly withhold important relational information from our spouse. It's not loving or gracious to knowingly withhold important relational information from our spouse. It's not fair to just wait for them to notice or for them to guess. It's too important. And without getting deep into it, I just want to point out again, I love to do this when we go through the Bible anytime we can to just point out how God's design is always the best way to do everything, including marriage. Because this is why God's design for marriage, where the vows and the commitment are serious, is the right way to do things because that commitment gives us the security to work through these messy issues. When you've made that commitment, hey, we're in this together for the long haul, then you've got that security to tackle issues. If the person you're with might just leave if things get too difficult, if the subject gets too awkward or, or, or too intense for them, if they might just bail on the whole thing, then you're gonna end up being too afraid to ever actually deal with the tough stuff. When you're committed to your marriage, it means you can both say, hey, we're, we're both in this for the long haul. So here's what we both know. We don't wanna be miserable. We'd like this to be a good, enjoyable experience because we're planning on being together until we're really old, God willing. So let's do what we gotta do to build something good here that we enjoy together. And I've shared before that Charlene and I have a commitment to each other that we do our best to live by when it comes to dealing with issues in our marriages, when it comes to having difficult conversations, raising awkward subjects, we say, we use more colorful language at home, but, but this is church, so we say we'd rather have a bad day than a bad week. We'd rather have a bad week than a bad month. We'd rather have a bad month than a bad year, and we'd rather have a bad year than a bad marriage. And that's our way of reminding ourselves that going through some temporary hurt and awkwardness is worth it if it means the rest of our married life is going to be better because we're in it for the long haul. And so let's not deal with an issue as an undercurrent in our marriage that just goes on and on and on. Let's actually deal with it. So again, let's stop and, and just reflect for a minute and, and just think as we go through this are there significant issues in your relationship with your spouse that you have not addressed with them? Are you withholding important information that they need to know about how you're doing in the relationship, about how you think you're both doing? And are you withholding that information under the guise of grace? Are you lying to them under the guise of maintaining peace in the marriage? Because if you are, all I can tell you is you gotta have that difficult conversation. You gotta do it. 
You got to love them enough. You got to value your marriage enough. You got to love your kids and your family enough to speak the truth in love. And now perhaps you're wondering, Jeff, well, how do I know whether I should raise an issue with my spouse or, or just let it go? How do I know? It's a really, really good question. So I put just a few thoughts down. They're, they're, they're listed on your outlines. Firstly, I think the first question has to be, does the Bible obligate you to raise the issue? Is this an issue where your spouse is directly violating scripture? You know, like if they're stealing from a store or something, you should address that. Whether you want to or not, because the issue is they're violating scripture. And if you're both believers, they are the closest believer to you in your life. And if anyone has that place to say, hey, hey, I have a concern here that there's a scriptural issue, that's gotta be your spouse. So if they're knowingly cheating on their taxes, you might, you might need to bring that up and be like, hey, we gotta talk about this. Second thing would be, will it harm the family in the future? So, so the only issue here is, is not you and, and your feelings, it's also about, is this gonna be harmful to the future of your marriage to your kids and your extended family in the future. And here's what I mean. There might be things that they happen and you think, well, I can let this go. This is no big deal. But you realize, but if I let this go and and say that this is okay, then this can turn into something very, very unhealthy in the future, you know? So say your your spouse comes back and they're like, oh, you know, I just blew $1,000 on the horses. I was stressed after work. And you're like, oh man, all right. Well, I can forgive that, I can let that go. But you also then realize, well, wait a minute. If this was a response to stress, then that's a concern because they're going to get stressed again. There's gonna be that pressure. So we need to talk about this. So maybe you could let it go that you gave your kids a task and then your spouse came along and said, well, you don't actually have to finish that. You're like, I can get over that. But you also realize, man, it's not gonna be healthy for our kids long-term if dad says one thing and mom says another. We we gotta commit to be on the same page with this. So if it's going to harm the marriage or the family in the future, then it's worth talking about. Thirdly, if those first two are, are not concerns and you can honestly let it go, then let it go. And please note the word honestly. It's the key part of that point. You have to actually know yourself well enough and be honest about your own past behavioral patterns and patterns of thinking to be able to evaluate whether you can genuinely let something go or whether you're actually just gonna be bottling it up. Because if there's residual bitterness, you haven't really let it go. If that thing that you've let go is still on a list somewhere in your mind, things I've let go, then you haven't actually let it go. If there's a chance of it coming up in a later date, or in an argument especially, then you haven't really let it go. Just so you know, if you've let something go, like it cannot come up again later on in an argument, or you didn't really let it go. If when they do it again, there's a raw nerve and anger there, then, then you didn't really let it go the first time. If you've made assumptions about their motivations, well, I, I guess they're just selfish, but I can let that go. Then you didn't really let it go. And if you've let it go by thinking less of them and, and more of yourself, well, you know, as, as the more mature believer in this situation, I can let it go. Then you haven't really let it go. But if you can say, you know what, it's not that big of a deal. They look past stuff that I do 
all the time and this isn't going to matter to me in an hour, then let it go because you actually can. I would say this though. You shouldn't only talk about issues in a marriage because they seem like big subjects. That's not the only reason. It's also worth talking about an issue if it comes up on a regular basis. And some of you are gonna be so relieved because I'm gonna give a little room for pettiness right now, okay? So in other words, it might be a small thing, but it drives you crazy and they do it every day. You should talk about it, let me explain why. Is the way that one loads the dishwasher an important subject to you? Well, obviously it's not an important subject. It's about as petty as it gets, right? But if you're the one who unloads the dishwasher every day, and every time you unload the dishwasher, you're like, oh, I married a moron. Oh my gosh. You should raise the issue. Because what it means is that 365 times a year, you're getting mad at them. That's 1,826 times every five years. Do you think it might be worth talking about even though it's a petty subject? Absolutely, because you want to enjoy being married to this person. And these are the kinds of issues where if you're honest, I don't know about you, but like you think about them and you're like, I don't ever plan on divorcing my spouse, but if I do, it'll probably be over this. And it's some incredibly small, petty thing. And you know, you know the stuff I'm talking about. But if it's actually stirring up within you genuine frustration toward a person every day or multiple times a day, like you should talk about it so that you can like each other. That's, that's a good thing. And being on the receiving end of that, we should all just rationally be prepared that there's gonna be stuff like that in marriage, right? Because if, if we don't assume that, then it means we've gone into marriage thinking, you know what, they love everything about me. It's like, no, they don't know everything about you. And when they know everything about you, there's gonna be a lot of stuff they don't like. So you better be prepared to evolve on some of those issues, okay? So if it's something that happens a lot, you should absolutely talk about it, absolutely. Again, if you can let it go, let it go. But if like you're asking for prayer for it, like at your men's group or women's group, like guys, you gotta like pray for me. I just can't, I can't deal with this anymore. Um, you know, she says it's in the fridge and it's not in the fridge. Like, I don't know what's going on, you know? And she's over there being like, it's, it's in the fridge and he can't see it. He's an idiot, pray for my marriage. Like if it's a frequent thing, like you gotta, you gotta address it. I don't actually have a solution for that one because I'm not Solomon. So a fourth point, if you can't let it go, if you can't let it go, Seek the Lord, seek the Lord. And, and even what I'm sharing in this point, I'm not even talking multiple days. This could literally be just seconds before you get into it. But don't jump into any type of confrontation or raise any issue without seeking the Lord, without taking at least a moment to connect with God and get your heart and mind in the right place. I love James 1.5, we, we say it all the time around here. Many of you know it, if any of you lacks wisdom, so he's speaking to all of us, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach and it will be given to him. I pray James 1, 5 all the time, all the time because I don't know where my spouse's head is at. I don't know what internal stuff they're processing or dealing with. I don't know everything that's happened to them today. I don't know what their motivation was. I love to think I do, but I don't. I don't know what's going on in their, in their heart or mind, but the Lord does, the Lord does. And so the best thing we can do is pray, Father, let your will 
be done in this situation. My goal is not to win an argument. My goal is that the Lord's will would be done. So I say, God, give me the words to say. Give me the right tone. Help me to be humble. And what the goal is, is to set our minds on saying, I want God to be pleased with how I handle this conversation. Like he's here, but if he's literally here in the flesh watching this, is he gonna be pleased with the way that I'm speaking to my spouse? Or is he gonna be like, boy, I'm about to smack you upside the head if you don't change your tone. So I wanna handle this situation in a way that's gonna be pleasing to the Lord. So even if just before you jump in, there's just five seconds of God, help me, give me wisdom, help me to be pleasing to you right now, that, that'll change the dynamic. And then I encourage everyone always continue to do that in the conversation. If they're sharing a point that's just making you frustrated, don't just start thinking about, oh man, I just need him to stop talking so I can eviscerate them with this incredible comeback. Better than that is being like, Lord, please help me to say the right thing next. Keep praying through the situation. And then lastly, if God says, yeah, go ahead, like jump in, you guys need to talk about it, raise the issue and work toward resolution. We're not gonna share too much about it because we've done that in other series, but just a couple of tips on how to do that is, is just again, don't make any assumptions about their motivations or intentions. Don't assume, you, you really don't know, I don't know. Hardest thing number two is, is listen well. I encourage you, Charlene and I have a simple rule which is no interrupting. I know it sounds simple but like interrupting is just one of the quickest ways to like jack up the tension in a discussion just through the roof. So we have a rule, it's just no interrupting. And if one of us is like, hey, we don't interrupt, it's like, but you know they're right. So we, we try to hold to that rule and try to listen well. I always tell everyone good advice is, is get your point across concisely. Think about how you're gonna share with them, put a little thought into it. Don't do this thing where it's like, hey, you know, I don't like something you do, so I'm just gonna talk about it for a really long time until I figure out the exact way I want it to come across. So this could be 30 minutes of streaming criticism, but if you can just hang with me while I think out loud, that would be great. Figure it out before you actually go into the conversation. Keep it short, because if it's long, you're gonna wanna get through that whole thing. Even if they're right at the place where right away they're like, hey, you know what, yeah, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that, I was a jerk. And you're like, I'm not finished. Page four, you know, <laughs> like try to keep it as, as short as you can. That's just something which I have found to be helpful. No facetious questioning is another one that I have. Facetious means like, don't say insulting things like, do you, do you think that was a good idea? Or uh, do, you think, do you think that was the wisest course of action? Which are essentially demeaning rhetorical questions, treating a person like a child, don't do that. Or you know, the ultimate worst if you're a believer is like, do you, do you think that was pleasing to Jesus? <laughs> like, well, I know, I know you don't, based on the fact you're asking that question. I know what I'm thinking about you right now isn't pleasing to Jesus either. So, <laughs> so don't, just try to not uh, get into facetious questioning. And remember that, that the goal is a strong house. The goal is a strong home, not winning the argument. The goal is not to win the argument and pummel them into submission. The goal is a strong home that you walk away better. And if you're on the receiving end, my tips are just simply understand that this was difficult for them to do. They probably didn't wanna have this conversation. They were putting it off. And if they're bringing it up, it's only because they, they feel like it's important and it's the right thing to do. It's not that you're the one who was like, oh, I wanted to relax tonight, and they were like, I didn't. I just thought it'd be more fun to argue. They're not thinking that. 
don't expect a perfect pitch from them. It's so easy when you're on the receiving end to just go to the point of critiquing the delivery, right? And being like, well, you know, your, your point's solid, but your delivery is just awful and very insensitive and your word choice is bad. It's never going to be good. When somebody raises an issue, and even worse, an issue that they're actually right on, there's no delivery of that where you're gonna be like, uh, it's pretty clear that I suck, but your delivery was so good that um, you know, it was just like a hot cup of cocoa. It was so good. It's never going to happen. It's always going to hurt. It's going to be awkward. There's no perfect delivery. So don't get mad at them that the delivery wasn't perfect. They're not the same as you. They don't communicate the same way as you do. Again, listen, listen, pray if you need to. Like I said, while you're listening, a common prayer for me is just, Lord, help me to actually hear what she's saying. Help me to be open. Help me not to be defensive. Help me not to immediately think of what I'm going to say next. Because you know, as soon as you think of what you're gonna say next, you're not listening. You're just like wah, 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 and you're like, oh, my next point is so good. Oh my gosh, if you're in that place, just, just take a breath, relax, and go back to listening. And then just do the right thing. Do the right thing, what is right according to the Lord. And then just the last thing I wanted to add on there is, is um, because what I find when, with marriage and, and speaking about it in the church is I find more and more, we just need reminders of some of the stuff that is most obvious. We just need reminders of the obvious stuff. Here's another one. If you've had a discussion that's been difficult or awkward, even if it was resolved well, give each other just a little bit of space and time to emotionally process. Don't be someone that's like, we have to hug now. You don't. Sometimes there's these emotions like stirred up and you come to an, an agreement, but there's still all this emotional stuff sometimes. So if a hug or more than that happens, hey, that's great. But if it's not natural, like don't force it and don't be like, well, if we're good, then why do you still look mad? And it's like, it's like well, because it was really, really hard for me to admit that I was wrong in this situation. And I did, and I'm just still working that out in myself. And we're fine, we're fine, we're fine. So just. Give each other a little bit of space to just sort of come down from, from the emotional high. Just if everything isn't immediately lovey-dovey again, that's okay. We're just, we're just human beings and you can't just flick a switch. Just because everything is on the same page intellectually and factually doesn't mean that the emotions have just died down like that. That's okay. Remember what Jesus expects of us in marriage. Uh, the apostle Paul told us in Ephesians 5, I put some of the verses from Ephesians 5 on your outlines. I'll just read them through to you. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. That's the expectation of Christian marriage. That's what we're shooting for. That's the standard we're aiming for. If we need help, hearing from the Holy Spirit in any of these steps. Should I raise this issue? If it's a bigger thing, that's not a five minute prayer, but you've been weighing this for a while. 
and, and you're just struggling to hear from the Lord, I, I just want to remind us again, there are specific things we can do as believers to, to increase our hearing, increase our ability to hear from the Lord. Firstly is just get into the Word of God, get into the Scriptures, not just because the Bible tells us what God says, but it also teaches us what His voice sounds like, and it helps us discern the difference between the voice of our flesh and our emotions in our mind and the voice of the Spirit of God. The more you're in the Bible, the more you know what the voice of God sounds like and the easier it is to recognize when the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. So get into the Word. See, what does the Scriptures have to say about marriage? What does it have to say about this issue that's bothering me? Pray. Talk with the Lord. Share with Him. He already knows everything, but He loves to be involved in your life. And if you talk to him, you, you'll find that he will. He will lead your mind. He'll put thoughts into your head and you'll be like, well, I know that's God because that's a lot more gracious than the thought that I would have in this situation. Pray is the second thing you can do. Thirdly, if you say, you know, I'm in the word, but, but I just can't find anything that specifically speaks to this issue. I, I'm praying and I'm, I just don't have clarity. Seek out wise counsel. Seek out wise counsel. We're talking about a, a mature believer who can share with you from the word of God. And even this is a big deal. Even the mature believer, you're not interested in like, what do you think? The first question to ask is like, do you have any idea what the word of God says about this? You know, or what God's will would be in this? You're looking for someone who's gonna tell you the truth even if it's not what you wanna hear? Out of respect for your spouse, it should be a one-on-one conversation with someone or a conversation with a couple. This isn't something to share with a whole group, to, to poll the church, you know. Should I talk to my husband about the fact he's been really selfish lately? I'd like to get 30 to 40 votes on this. You don't, don't do that. Just talk to one person or talk with a couple. And this person or this couple, this always amazes me with believers seeking wise counsel. I see this with young believers and old believers. Just to point out the obvious, they're not wise counsel if they don't have a life and a marriage that you would like to have. Like if their relational life and their marriage is a train wreck, they are not wise counsel, okay? They are not the person you should be going to or seeking counsel from. So make sure that they have a walk with Jesus that you would like to have. Make sure they have a marriage that that you admire and respect before you ask for counsel because it's so easy for us to say, I'm gonna ask advice, and we ask advice from people who are having the exact same problems that we are and haven't figured it out yet. And it's like two addicts trying to counsel each other. It's just not going to work. And then finally, I know we forget about it all the time as believers, but there's fasting. If there's no breakthrough, no clarity, you haven't heard from the Lord, there's fasting. Taking time to fast and setting aside time to specifically pray about an issue for a day or for a few days, that can bring a breakthrough as well. Write this down and then we'll unpack this. This is the second big thing I want us to get from today. The best version of you to be married to, the best version of you for someone to live with is the version of you that is walking in close relationship with Jesus. That's walking in close relationship with Jesus. The more time you spend with the Lord, the more time you walk with the Lord, the more aware you become, not just of how incredible and perfect and awesome and amazing he is, But when he becomes now your point of reference, you become very aware how incredibly imperfect you are. And when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we become 
very aware of our own flaws and, and we marvel that he loves us with all of our faults. As we experience the grace of God towards us, we naturally begin to show more grace to our spouse. When we're not walking with the Lord, I don't know if you figured this out, but as human beings, our tendency is to very naturally minimize and overlook our own faults. We're so good at that, at justifying our faults, because all we have to do is find someone who's worse than us, right? And then we're like, well, I'm, I'm pretty good. If you compare me to that person over there, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. And we tend to get very good while minimizing our faults at maximizing the faults of our spouse. They just become glaring. When we're not being filled up with the grace of God, then the only grace we have to give is the grace that comes from ourselves. And guess what? That's a pretty limited supply. We don't have a whole lot of grace to give. And our flesh loves to keep score, even in secret, in our minds. But when I go to the table of communion and I'm confronted with the grace of God, I'm confronted with these elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus that was shed and, and broken for me to erase all of my sins, to just erase them. The Bible says he remembers our sins no more. When I do that, I can't even justify keeping score of somebody else's sins. I can't do it. When I walk with Jesus, I find myself connected to the only real source of everything good. I'm connected to the source of love, joy, peace, encouragement, rest, all those good things. But when I'm not connected to the Lord, I tend to expect my marriage to provide all of those things for me, which it inevitably doesn't, which tends to build up resentment in me toward my spouse. And I place a weight of expectation on them that becomes crushing and suffocating. And then we tend to respond to that by moving towards apathy or codependence. Either we just say, listen, my spouse is in massive disappointment and we just start withdrawing from intimacy with them or we just say no here's the solution I just need to be with them all the time all the time because they're my source for everything that I need emotionally and so I can't let them wander very far and that's literally what codependence is it's just like you're my only source for everything good in my life so no you can't go have a drink with the guys no, you can't join a sports team because I will die if you're gone for four hours. I need you home as quickly as possible so that you can be here with me. <sighs> like, a, like an emotional vampire. And that's what, that's what codependence is. So when we're not connected with the Lord, we're not getting our emotional needs met in our relationship with Jesus, we tend to look to our spouse for those things. They inevitably disappoint us because they can't be God in our lives. And when they disappoint us, either we move towards apathy and we withdraw from intimacy with them or we just become codependent and start suffocating them. And what I pray that we'll all recognize is that when we're not walking with the Lord, the issue is not that our spouse is a disappointment. The issue is not that we just need to be around them more and more and more and more. The issue is that We've become disconnected from the only one who can actually meet all of our emotional needs. The solution isn't anything to do with our spouse. The solution is our relationship with the Lord. So now understand the contrast. When I am connected with Jesus, when I am walking in close relationship with him, 
I'm not placing the burden on my spouse to be everything that I need, and that frees me up to just enjoy them and appreciate them as the person that God made them to be in my life. And God did not create your spouse to be your God. He did not create them to be your all in all. That's God's job. The version of you that is walking in close relationship with the Lord is the best version of you to be married to. Everything about living the Christian life, we talk about this a lot here too, everything about living the Christian life tends to come back to the words of Jesus in John 15. Jesus said, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Husbands, you cannot love your wives the way Jesus wants you to apart from abiding in Jesus. Woman, you cannot respect your husband's the way that God wants you to, unless you're abiding in Jesus. You can't just stir that up within yourself. When we abide in Jesus, when we walk in relationship with him, we experience his grace over and over and over again on a daily basis, and that gives us grace to extend toward our spouse. It can flow out to them. When we abide in Jesus, he supplies all of our needs, and we're free to enjoy our spouse for the gift they are rather than expecting them to provide all our needs. The version of you that's walking in close relationship with the Lord is the best version of you to be married to. So with that, would you bow your head and close your eyes, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word and your passionate commitment to the truth, Lord. We know that you're always truthful with that. And we know that the truth is what sets us free. And we know that you came to the earth full of grace and truth, Lord, loving us by laying down your life for us, but also loving us enough to tell us the truth, that we were on a path headed towards destruction and danger. You shared the truth and then you loved us in grace, providing a way to escape that and a better way forward. So Father, we pray that all of us in our marriages and our relationships, we, we would do the same thing. We would speak the truth in love. We would be full of grace and truth. That Lord, we would love our marriage and our family more than we love ourselves. That we would love our spouse more than we love ourselves that we would do what is right. Father, I pray for every marriage and every future marriage represented in this room right now. Father, I pray your blessing upon them. Father, I believe in faith that the best days of our marriages are, are yet to come. I believe in faith that we're gonna grow to become more like you as you continue your work in us. And as we become more like you, we're gonna be able to enjoy our marriages more, God. As we get what we need from you and stop looking to our spouses to be what only you can be. Father, I believe in faith we're gonna be able to appreciate our spouses more and more as we go forward. So we ask that you would do that work. Father, I pray for the wisdom of your spirit for all of us. We just give you freedom right now to reveal to us any issues that you wanna work on in our marriages, Father. We give you freedom to speak to us and Father, we pray for, for courage to obey you, whatever that looks like in dealing with these things. So would you just speak to us now, give clarity and calm and insight and wisdom and peace and confidence, Lord, to every one of us. 
Thank you that you care about our marriages and you, you haven't left us alone, but you're with us and your spirit is in us. So we thank you that everything you are is at our disposal for these things. Your wisdom, your love, your grace, your compassion, your empathy. And so we ask that your spirit would flow through us in the way that we relate to our spouses, Jesus. Well, thanks for taking this time to listen and be in the Word of God with us. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to our website, mynewhope.ca, right now. When you get there, you'll see a graphic on our homepage that says, The Gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So stop whatever else you're doing, go to mynewhope.ca and click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you're in the greater Vancouver area, I want to invite you personally to come and be a part of New Hope Church. We believe God is doing something real special as we grow together in our faith and love for Jesus, and we would love you to be a part of it. And finally, if you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for being in the Word of God with us. And always remember, God is with you.